Uh, we'll come back to the Gospel of John next week. Uh, today, though, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Psalms and Psalm 2. Psalm 2. And um, <clears throat> the Lord impressed on my heart uh, this week while I was at, at the pastor's conference, the uh, Calvary Chapel Association conference, uh, this, this particular psalm and, and uh, uh, various words seem to just kind of pop out at me that uh, uh, brought me to realize that um, for those who have, may have been here on July the 4th because we had a service that day and, and I was speaking on the, um, on the issues of the United States of America, whether we're in prophecy or not, whether we're in the scriptures or not, and, and so on and so forth. And I did mention that day that um, the USA is in scripture, but not by name, only by presence and by influence. And I'll explain that in a moment. But uh, I felt that this was a good time to put an exclamation point on that particular teaching on, on July the 4th and uh, continue on in Psalm 2 because it brings us to where we are today in this world, where we are in seeing what is happening, uh, not only in our nation, but, but actually globally. Uh, but I'm not talking about the events so much as the root cause of what is taking place uh, today. And Psalm 2 uh, defines these things very clearly for us. So what I'd like to have you all do, if you can stand, I'd like to have you stand and read this psalm with me. Use the text that's up on the, on the screens because that way we're all reading the same text. It's from the King James Version. And it's Psalm 2, beginning at verse 1. Let's read it out loud and together. Verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Shall we pray? Our Father and our God, we give you thanks and praise for your word. And we ask now that you would anoint us and bless us with your Holy Spirit, grant us your wisdom and understanding for not only this day and hour in which we live, but Lord, for the days to come, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Y'all may be seated. <clears throat> now, if you have taken a keen interest, and I emphasize a keen interest, in current events as a major part of your studies and prophetic themes, you are probably coming to the conclusion that this world is for all intents and purposes, going completely mad. And if not going completely mad, then it is in the final stages of becoming utterly insane. You ever get that feeling when you watch the news and you see what's going on in the world? Just constantly and daily, the things that are happening, not only in this country, but really throughout the whole of this world. And I use the, the term keen interest simply because the word keen has, has a very deep meaning that we need to take hold of. 
the word keen means intense, strong, acute, deep, and or powerful. So if we're not prayerfully looking at the world and the things happening in the world in these last days with that sort of intensity, then much of the discerning power of the Holy Scriptures will be misused. It will be missed. It could even be ignored, whether purposely or not. And it is my intention, my, not my prayer, that, that none of you will miss what's going on in the world from the standpoint of where the Word of God is taking us. And I certainly don't want any of you to ignore it because the things that are happening are happening at a, at a cut rate uh, pace. And just consider what's happening in the world today. From, from the uncivil war that is taking place in our own country today, at every level of government, whether federal, state, or local, and much of that is due to the violent resistance from those on, on the political left toward the president and his administration. But then consider that it also stretches out to the unabashed and shameless immorality that ranges from abortion to same-sex marriage to wide-scale pornography presented in every form of medium. While all of this is being done and has been done to undermine and to destroy the moral foundation and the moral fiber that has undergirded this nation from its inception. Now, one thing that is being attacked constantly, and especially now with, with another uh, Supreme Court uh, justice soon to be appointed, the one thing that is being attacked viciously is, is, is the Constitution of the United States. We don't hear a lot about that because the mainstream news media won't cover that. But this is what's being attacked very strongly. Now, if you were here on July the 4th, I, I quoted quite a bit from John Adams, who was the second president of the United States. But he had a, 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 a very uh, lengthy quote on, on the Constitution of the United States, and this is what he said. He said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. Think about that for just a moment. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the govern government of any other. And he goes on to say, but a Constitution of government once changed from freedom can never be restored. Liberty once lost is lost forever. Cities may be rebuilt, and a people reduced to poverty may acquire fresh property, but a constitution of government once changed from freedom can never be restored. Then he said, human passions unbridled by morality and religion. In other words, if, 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 if morality and, and, and a spiritual life do not bridle the human passion. This is what will happen. He said, human passions unbridled by morality and religion would break the strongest cords of our Constitution as a whale goes through a net. Now that, that was quite insightful for the time when he wrote that because in effect he was describing the days in which we live. Now, some of you may ask the question, what does any of this have to do with Psalm 2? Well, just about everything. Because, you see, when you first look at the Scriptures, a general observation of the Scriptures will indicate that the Lord established nations and the Lord established boundaries. You need to understand that. The Lord established nations and the Lord established boundaries. And aside from the rebellion in heaven led by Lucifer against the boundaries that the Lord had set between the Creator and those created, and let me explain that very quickly here. There's only one God. The Bible is very clear. He says, I am God and there is no other. Amen? That's what God says of Himself. Read the book of Isaiah. Well, the boundaries are that there's only one God and there is no other. What did Lucifer say? Well, I'll read that in just a moment. But he sought to destroy those boundaries. So with that, with that idea in mind, there was a conspiracy, a, conspira a conspiratorial rebellion against God. That is why a third of the angels in heaven were cast out, for they plotted against the God who created the heavens and the earth. So that was, that was kind of foundational there for our understanding of what conspiratorial rebellion is. But aside from that rebellion, 
there was another conspiratorial rebellion against the Lord not long after the great flood. And again, in complete defiance to the established order that the Lord had given concerning procreation. See, the reason why there was a flood was because God had given a direction and, a, and an established order that uh, there would be male and female, human, and that this is how they were to procreate and, and to fill the earth. But when you read Genesis chapter 6, you realize that there were some entities that were called the sons of God, and they had relations with the daughters of men. There were giants in the land, and there were all kinds of other things that, they, that, that, were, that were being developed because of these kinds of, 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 uh, of destructions of, of the boundaries that God had set. And therefore, the world was destroyed by the flood. And by the way, remember, not just humans, but also animals. So that kind of gives you an idea of how terrible the, the, the sin of man was and the sin of those that came and, and began to uh, defy the established order of the Lord. Well, after the flood, you would think that, they've, that man would learn their lesson. But instead, there was another conspiratorial rebellion. Now it was led by someone named Nimrod. We find Nimrod mentioned in Genesis chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, where it says, And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. Now some, there are some who, who believe that Nimrod was, was uh, actually of, of the same line as, as the giants of that time, because, you know, there were giants after the flood, even though uh, many were destroyed. There was still a, a line that would come through uh, the, the line of... of uh, of Cush, but nonetheless, well, it's for another time. Verse 9 says, he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Now, this is significant here because the word before the Lord doesn't mean that he just stood before the Lord or that just like us, that we live our lives before the Lord. Of course, the Lord sees us and knows us as, as we are. That's not what it means in the Hebrew. What it says here of, of, uh, of Nimrod was that he was a mighty hunter in defiance against the Lord. He was against the Lord's directions. He was against the Lord's established order. He was against the boundaries that the Lord had created for man. He was against the restraints that God had put upon man to do things right and to live right and to live righteously and godly, which was what man was supposed to do. So that was all destroyed because he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. And it says, wherefore it is said, even Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, in defiance against God. Now you do know that the Lord had said to his disciples, especially Peter, who was a fisherman, he said, you know, you're fishing for fish, but I want to teach you to be fishers of men so that men will come to know the Lord. So being fishers of men is one thing, but being hunters before the Lord is a totally different thing because a hunter doesn't hunt to capture, a hunter hunts to kill. And the basis for this particular thinking is actually found in the one who began that, that, that conspiratorial rebellion in heaven, Lucifer. We'll come back to that in a moment. Now, if you go down to Genesis 11, notice what goes on. Uh, oh, by the way, we didn't finish. Let me, let me finish reading verse 10. And the beginning of this kingdom was Babel. Speaking of Nimrod, he began and, and actually established Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalne in the land of Shinar. Then if you go down to verse 1 of chapter 11, it says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick. Now here's man going out there and making brick. Man makes brick, man develops and, and establishes this, this mode of building. It was not God's mode of building. When God wanted people to build anything, he would say, take this stone and pile stone upon stone. Take what I have made and, and, and that's what you'll build with. Instead, man develops a way to make brick. Brick is, is significant of what man tries to do, apart from what God as given as his established order. 
So he says, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, go, let us build a, us a city. Let us build us. We're going to build ourselves a city and a tower. And by the way, that's significant because we're talking about political and religious uh, substance here. Political and religious things. Let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. So again, this is kind of a, a, a religious uh, uh, issue. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. We like it out here. We don't want to be scattered out here. We're gonna, but we're going to build our own city. We're going to build our own way of worship. We're going to worship our own way. This, this is the idea here behind what is happening. But what we're finding here in this passage is the world's first federation of nations. Their goal was to be one world. Anybody ever heard of the one world order? That's a lot of talk going on over the last 20, 25 years. Actually, it went way before that too. But it actually epitomizes the last federation of nations for human history begins and ends at Babel. And if you don't believe me, read tonight Revelation 17 and 18. Human history begins at Babel. Human history ends in Babylon the land of Shinar. And as there was a great rebel standing behind the first Babel, there will be a great rebel behind the last one. The Bible identifies him in some places as the Antichrist, in other places the beast. But as the, and, and that's yet to come, by the way. And as the first United Nations organization centered everything around a cultural, political, and religious unity, so will the last which is yet to come. It is here in Genesis that we find man's first attempt to build a society from which God was to be excluded. Let us build for us a city. We don't want God to be a part of this. We want us to be gods here. That is what is being said in Genesis chapter 11. But the Lord refuses to be ruled out of human affairs. And, I, and I'm really thankful for that because you see, too many people even today, if they in some way believe that there's a God, they would say, well, you know, God, yeah, there's a God, but I mean, you know, he's up in heaven and he's getting old and he's got the long white hair and the long white beard, you know, and he just sits there and he doesn't have any kind of connection to what's going on in the world. Unfortunately, this was the idea and understanding of the deists who were also a part of the founding of this country. <laughs> unfortunately, that they, they, they had this idea, you know, God really doesn't, you know, he's going to let you go at it and, you know, but be moral and be right and be, you know, follow laws and you'll be okay. Unfortunately, that's something being taught in some churches even today. As if God doesn't involve himself. They don't want to look at prophecy at all because they, they think, well, you know, things are just going to work out and people are going to get old and you die and then you go to heaven or you go to hell or whatever. And even some today don't even believe there's a hell. So, well, you go someplace. But see, that's the problem with not trusting the Word of God. Because the Word of God is very clear about the end times, as we will see in just a moment. So the Lord refuses to be ruled out of human affairs. And so, here in Genesis chapter uh, 11, he comes down in judgment upon that scene. But before we get there, let's go to Isaiah 14 very quickly. Keep your fingers here in, in Genesis 11 and go to Isaiah 14 because I want you to see the heart principle of Lucifer, the heart attitude of Lucifer. In verse 12 of Isaiah 14, it says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? The name means light bearer, son of the morning. How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? Let me, let me interject here very quickly that the nations will be judged by God. Nations will stand before God one day. And Satan has weakened the nations, as you shall see, with this attitude of the heart of Lucifer. For thou hast said in thine heart, notice, 
five things. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Seems to me that Lucifer had an eye problem. The five eye wills of Lucifer. And yet in verse 15 it says, Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. For this heart attitude of defiance against God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who created the established order of things through law, the God who established boundaries to be followed and kept. So now with that in mind, go back to Genesis 11 and look at verses 5 through 9. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. And what we'll learn about that word imagined is that it doesn't mean just to meditate upon things. It means to plot certain things. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. You see how the beginning of nations started? So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. They stopped building. And therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Nations now were created. The nations would go and be established in other parts of the world. Nations would set their own boundaries, but whenever they wanted more land than they had, they would destroy the boundaries of others and overtake certain people if they had the strength and the power to do it. And that's what we've seen from the time that nations were built by man though God established them to be nations and established them to have boundaries, man continues to defy those things. So has the world of nations learned their lesson from the Lord? That's the question. As we see in our text in Psalm 2, it doesn't seem like they have learned anything at all. Nations haven't learned a thing. Notice verse 1. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The psalmist David now speaks first, the writer of the song, the songwriter, as it were. He said, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? He's asking this question in more detail. He says, why do the nations, because the word heathen there is the word goyim in the Hebrew, and that it, it means nations, it means heathen, yes, it also means Gentiles. But in the context, it's about nations. So he's asking, why do the nations, or the Gentile nations, tumultuously assemble? Why do they rage? Now, the word rage there in the Hebrew is also a very expanded term because it means not just to be in, a, in, a, in an angry aspect or an angry uh, set of, of, of feeling here, but also they've assembled with that same anger. Why do the nations tumultuously assemble? And the people, now this is a separate issue from the, the Gentiles. The people, quite possibly, being the unbelieving Jews of the tribulation period, because we are talking about a period that will happen before the end and before the return of Jesus Christ in his second coming. 
and, and, and the tribulation period is all about Israel. It's all about the Jewish people. So you have to understand that about this particular statement. Understand also that Psalm 2 is a prophetic psalm, but it is primarily a messianic psalm, as we shall see in a moment. So they says, why do the nations tumultuously assemble and the people meditate on such a worthless and hopeless conspiracy? Why do they plot on such a worthless and hopeless conspiracy? That is pretty much the idea of verse 1. And David does not ask this because he wants an answer. He knows the answer. This is not a question to be asked. As like, well, why, why is all this happening? It's a rhetorical question that has already been answered by the actions of the world. Let, let's get back to the U.S. for just a moment. Because why are we the greatest nation in the world that will not be mentioned in prophetic passages by, by name concerning the end times? As I said on the 4th, we are in uh, the 4th of July, we are in scripture by presence and influence. Uh, you, you have to kind of listen to the, the message. If you, if you haven't, uh, I would encourage you to get the CD or, or, or watch it on live stream uh, uh, or from our website. But we were chosen by God. The United States of America was chosen by God to bring the Jewish people back into the promised land. I explained that on, on, the, on, uh, on that night. We were chosen to bring back the Jewish people into the promised land. F folks go back to May of 1948. And the very vote of the United Nations, it was the, 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 the vote of the United States of America to proclaim Israel as the state of Israel and declare its independence as a nation. We were used by God to bring them back into the promised land and equally to bring history to a close. May 14, 1948, God pressed the stopwatch to start the end times, even though the end times started back in the time of the apostles. But it was, a, it was, it was something that we can now see. Israel is back in the land <clears throat> and prophecy depends upon Israel being back in the land. So that is biblical prophecy. We were also chosen by the Lord for a higher purpose and a greater purpose than even that. We were chosen by God for taking and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world. And even though much of that began in the, uh, uh, the British Empire going forth uh, using the the, their, their great navy, you know, the seven seas going up and, you know, establishing their empire, as it were. But wherever they went, they always took the gospel. Now, that was significant. But after they became more focused on empire building than, than on the gospel, then it became really the responsibility of the United States of America, who had great great uh, uh, missionary organizations that went out from the 18th, 19th centuries to preach the gospel to every nation that they could, they could reach. And today we still do that through the medium that, uh, that or the media that we have, whether it be radio, TV, uh, uh, internet, whatever it is, the gospel is still going out because the gospel has to reach every nation before the Lord returns. So understand that this was something that God had given to us, not by name, we don't see our name in the, in the scriptures, but by presence and by influence. So then, with that in mind, why the chaos in our country today? Why the attacks on the moral and religious foundations? Well, the ultimate enemy of our nation, of course, is Satan. Because of the establishment of this nation upon Judeo-Christian values, the word of God, and, and all of that. Nations being attacked because of that. And it's being attacked with, by Satan and along with the principalities and powers of, of the unseen deeper state. That is something that he, even the Apostle Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 6. When he talked about the fact that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness and the spiritual wickednesses in high places. 
That is what's influencing the deep state today, and there is a deep state that is, that is trying to overthrow the things in our, in our country. It's a deeper state that empowers them. But the enemy of our souls has used godless governments and regimes to undermine our nation from within. And if you keep up with history, even though a lot of uh, people are trying to revise the history of the United States of America, don't let them fool you. There is a history of this country that needs to be re remembered. And, and unfortunately, in many of our schools today, that's kind of being put aside. But they, they've always tried to undermine our nation from within. Enemies that have infiltrated our nation when our, when our protective guard was, was put down or eased. All along the godless Soviet Union of the past. How many, how many of you remember the Soviet Union? You remember the Soviet Union? Okay, a few of you. That's all, that's all of our oldies but goodies here. The godless Soviet Union of the past and its ideological leader, Vladimir Lenin, had goals for subverting the good of this country and changing its foundations. Very quickly, let me just say that in 1958, a former FBI agent, W. Cleon Skousen, wrote a book entitled The Naked Communist, exposing the goals of the Communist Party to subvert the United States of America. And if you remember the history of that time, this was the Cold War time. This was after World War II. And, and this was when Germany was divided, and the Russians, uh, uh, the Soviet Union went in, the communists took over uh, the eastern side of, of Germany itself, and, and so on and so forth. But it was during that time, we got into this Cold War with, with, with Russia, or Soviet Union of, of, that, of that time. And, and, and don't think that they didn't want to subvert this country. That's what the FBI spent a lot of their time doing in the 50s, was seeking out these infiltrators that were not just in the country, but now in our government. And history has recorded very clearly that there were communist infiltrators in the highest levels of our government. But you don't hear that reported today. But it happened. So Skousen, and I don't have time to go through all the goals, but Skousen considered the top 45 goals. And in a nutshell, here, so here are just some of them that we know have already been implemented. Number one, the elimination of prayer in the public schools, 1960. Number two, the discrediting of the family. Their goal was to discredit the family unit through all kinds of means to divorce and all kinds of other, other means. Think about this in our day and time. You watch any kind of, of, uh, of uh, uh, sitcom that has family, that's kind of family, you know, the, the, you know the, the dad is an idiot, the mother's a self-made woman, the kids are, you know, off doing their own things, you know. There's a discrediting to the family unit and how it's supposed to be, how it's supposed to work. But that was part of their plan. The encouragement of promiscuity, the control of the public schools, the breakdown of cultural standards of morality and the introduction of pornography, and the promotion, and, here's, and this one is, is very, uh, very current, the promotion and acceptance of homosexuality as a normal lifestyle. This was part of the Communist Party plot against this country to subvert its power. These are just a few. Skousen pointed out 45. There were many more. The state, in other words, is the ultimate. The whole purpose was to turn this United States, not from a, a, a republic, uh, well, yeah, to, to turn it from a republic, but to turn it into a socialistic state. A godless socialistic state. That's, that's, the, that's the goal. The state is ultimate. I've kind of narrowed it down with two questions that I want to ask you today. The two questions are these. Believe God or play God? Believe God or play God? Second question. Depend upon God or depend upon government? Depend upon God or depend upon government? That's where this nation has come to today. 
And it's a fierce, fierce battle. And we as Christians need to be discerning as to which side we need to be on. Psalm 2 verse 2 says the kings of the earth set themselves. Listen carefully what they're doing. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Do you know what that is? Against his anointed is against his Mashiach, Messiah. That's Jesus. Saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. The leaders of nations have set themselves. If you underline any word, underline the word set. The leaders of nations have set themselves. What that means is they are dug in. They are standing fast. They are ready to withstand. In other words, they are getting themselves set for a battle, but against whom? It tells us against whom. Against the Lord and against his anointed. Against the creator of the heavens and earth. Against the God who alone is God. Against the eternal God and his Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus. I mean, that's somewhat bold on their part, wouldn't you think? I mean, it's either bold or idiotic, but that's what it is. And the world has been heading toward this mindset, the same mindset of Lucifer. I will. I will. We will. We will build us a city. The world's been heading toward this mindset. It may have different political systems and different ideas about economic and social structures, even differences in education and national goals. But if they are united, they are united in this, to get rid of God. And if they can't get rid of God, to weaken the God that some people believe in, just to weaken him. May I tell you that our God is not weak? Our God is strong. Our God is not just strong, he is all-powerful, omnipowerful, <laughs> omnipotent. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient, all-knowing. You go up against that God, and then you get into trouble. Because everything and everyone pertaining to God are their targets. And this is the reason why. But you didn't hear a whole lot being said and done about the, uh, a, few, a couple of years ago when ISIS was, was, uh, uh, was uh, executing Christians with beheadings and uh, and all kinds of other uh, wicked uh, ways of, of, of killing and destroying them. Nobody said much about that. Has that been at, you know, at the center of your, of, of your understanding you know, as you look at the world today? Did the, United, did the United Nations really stand up and say, this is terrible? But time and time again, the United Nations stands up and condemns Israel week in and week out. So where's the targets? Who are the targets? Christians are the targets. The Jews are the targets. The scriptures are the targets. And Jesus Christ himself, these are the targets of the world. Don't, don't be fooled as to thinking that, you know, there, there, there are Christians in every nation. Of course there are, because that's what God has established. This is how God has put his people in there, but to do what? To continue to be light and salt. Where's the light and salt in our own country today? Too often it's being hidden by the bushel basket, you know, that Jesus talked about, when he, when he says, you know, let your light so shine before men. Don't cover it up with a bushel basket. Let your light shine. But what's happening in, the, in, in this country even? There are a lot of attacks upon the church today. And they try to do it through attacking the Constitution of the United States. 
Let us break their bands asunder, they say, and cast their cords from us. In essence, what they're saying is, let's break off and root out violently their chastising restraints. Asunder is just a repeat of breaking off. So they were just saying, let's break off, doubly break off from, from these restraints of God and his anointed. And throw them away. Throw away the entwined rope that yokes us to them. Throw away that which yokes us to God and his anointed. That's what they were saying in verses 2 and 3. The picture is that of a stubborn and raging animal, a beast of burden as it were, but a stubborn and raging animal trying to break the cords that bind the yoke to its body, a yoke that the Lord established for their own good. God has established laws for us. For what? For our own good. Read the book of Romans chapter 13. Laws are for our protection. But what are people crying out for today? No law. That's anarchy. But this is, this is a world being duped by the enemy. And I, and I think about it in terms of, of, of sports events like the World Cup that just finished today. By the way, France won 4-2. Just thought I'd let you know. So, so here, here's the thing. I mean, you know, you have this World Cup and everybody's supposed to get together and everybody's supposed to be nice and ha happy with each other, you know, and, and we're all one world. We're all one world. We all have different languages. But see, that's the funny thing. Right before every event, they play the national anthem of each country. And boy, the people are proud of their... See, th th that's the irony here. That's the irony of the uh, European Union. Oh, we're, we're one people, yeah, but you're all different languages and you all have different, uh, uh, different national anthems. Same thing at the Olympics. The Olympics have gone deeper, you know, they have the Olympic anthem, you know. We're trying to make one world, even with sports. But it's still confusing, isn't it? Because people are more nationalistic than the enemy would want them to be. But they're still moving in that direction. That's the irony here. But their attempt is futile of breaking that yoke from God. The attempt is futile because the only true freedom comes from sub submitting to God and doing His will. When we came to Christ, we came to the freedom that can only be given to us through Jesus Christ. There's no greater freedom than the freedom that Christ gives. Freedom without authority is anarchy, and anarchy destroys. So we seem to find ourselves in the midst of a world getting ready for this final rebellion. That is why this is a prophetic song. We've spoken about Russia and its part in the Middle East in preparation for the Gog-Magog War of Ezekiel 38. There's a conspiracy that is mentioned there. A number of nations mentioned in this conspiratorial rebellion against the people and nation of God. The whole attack of Ezekiel 38 is upon Israel. And then don't forget Psalm 83 because it has its own conspiracies of nations against Israel. But if you think that the evil Soviet regime is dead, consider this. Recently, Vladimir Putin, 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 Rutin, Tutin, Putin, whatever his name is, Vladimir Putin and Russia, they hosted in Russia a convention of 50,000 communist youth celebrating the 100th anniversary of the Bolshevik Revolution, the revolution that led to the Soviet regime that killed more than 60 million people. Don't forget that Russia backs the Taliban, Russia backed ISIS, it has backed Al-Qaeda, it continues to back Cuba, and it backs Venezuela. Anybody want to go and live in Venezuela today? If you've seen what it, what's happening over there, you want to buy a piece of bread, you can't afford it. Isn't that crazy? And they back most, if not all, communist bloc countries, and don't forget their involvement with Syria, their continued involvement with Iran, Iran being the, the one state that is, that is funding most of the terrorist groups against Israel in the United States. And of course, they have their, their involvement with communist China, always have. So sadly, it has been made evident that in our country, Russia backs radical subversive groups. 
And, and, and this is something that the news media will not tell you, but it has been discovered. And by the way, you know, certain Russians were indicted this week, not for collusion with the administration, but just for being in this country spying like a lot of countries do. They can be indicted, they won't be, you know, they won't be arrested because they're not going to be extradited by their own country. So all of these subversive groups have been popping up since uh, uh, this administration came into, uh, uh, into the leadership of the country. But I want you to remember this. If you remember anything, remember this. The Holy Spirit is still here as the restrainer. The Holy Spirit is still here as the restrainer in the church. That's why the church is still here. That's why we need to understand our, our, you know, our, our need to grasp all of these things because we play a part in all of this. Our prayers, our, our, our love, our support for the state of Israel, for the people of Israel, because God said, they who bless you, as he spoke to Abraham, they who bless you will be blessed. Those who don't bless you will be cursed. So, you know, it's better to bless the people of God. God has a plan for Israel. We need to bless them. But you see, the restrainer is still here. That's the Holy Spirit in the church. <clears throat> but a day's coming that the worst displays of hatred toward God are yet to come. You ain't seen nothing yet, in other words. And let me read something from 2 Thessalonians 2 uh, about the restrainer. And that is in verses 7 through 12, where it says, for the mystery of iniquity does already work. Now, that's in Paul's time, but he was talking about the Antichrist. And John talked about the spirit of Antichrist that was already here on the earth. But the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who now letteth will let. What that means is, he who now restrains will restrain until he be taken out of the way. And the only restrainer that that can be referenced to is the Holy Spirit in the church. So when the church is taken out of the way, the Holy Spirit will still be here, but not in that capacity of restraining. In other words, he will stop restraining. And this is the reason why the world hates the church. Because we are representative of the body of Christ that is filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So he goes on and he says, and then shall the wicked be revealed, then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan and with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth. Now please understand this. When it says that they receive not the love of the truth, that does not mean that they can't stand before, it doesn't mean that they will stand before God one day and say, you know, nobody ever told me about this. There will be no excuses before God when man is judged. No excuses. What this means is they receive not the love of the truth because they did not want the love of the truth. It is an act of the will. And notice that they might be saved. Who wouldn't want to be saved? But those who don't believe and those who refuse to believe that Jesus Christ came to die for the sins of men and that Jesus Christ is going to rise again from the dead, which he did, and that Jesus Christ is going to come again as they saw him leave, he's going to come again. And he's going to come and gather his people together. He's going to take them home. And seven years of great tribulation is going to come upon not only the earth, but primarily upon Israel because they need to finish those seven years of chastisement from the book of Daniel chapter 9. All that needs to be done. And notice it goes on to say, and for this cause God shall send them strong delusion to those who will not believe. If they believe the lie and, that, and that's all they want to believe, then they're going to have more lies to believe. That they, they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So in the few minutes that we have remaining, what was God's answer then to this rebellion of man, this, con this conspiracy of man? Let's go back to Psalm 2 verse 4. 
He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure, which means he shall speak to them in his anger and he shall distress them and trouble them in his deep displeasure. And yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Now what he says here, this is the Lord, this is the Father speaking. Yet have I set my king, his son, upon my holy hill of Zion. Where the, where, where the uh, leaders of the, of, the, of the world are setting themselves for battle against God, a day is coming when Jesus will sit. No more battle on the throne in Jerusalem, on the throne on the hill of Zion, to reign for a thousand years on the earth. And then he goes on and he says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So what we find now in heaven when God speaks is a tremendous contrast to the calamitous chaos on the earth. The earth is in chaos. I mean, the nations are setting themselves against God. The Lord, though, is in heaven, and he's neither worried, he's not afraid, as feeble and frail man rages in anger against him. This is why we need to remember that God is on the throne still. This is why we need to remember that God is in complete control of what's happening in the world today. Even though man is raging out of control, God is in control. And the other thing we need to remember is that Jesus said, I'm coming again. And we need to be ready for that return because that can happen at any moment. That can happen today and I'd be glad. I'd be glad if I, if, if I don't finish this message. Well, I'd like to, but I'd, I'd be glad if, if the Jesus comes because then we'd be gone. We'd be out of here. Do you, you understand? We need to be ready for that moment. So what we find here is that the Lord is neither worried nor afraid. Now, now understand this, we get a little bit upset about the things that we see happening in the TV and not happening in the world and, you know, in the news. God, God, God laughs. But, but understand this laugh. This, this is what's called an anthropomorphism. This is, this is a word that is used among men to describe something of the nature of what God is going through when all of these things are happening. I mean, God is not laughing like, ha, oh, ha, boy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show them, you know, boom, and everybody's gone, right? You, know, you get the wrong picture about God that way. But understand what it says about him. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that laughter here in just a moment. He laughs at them and at their anger because he says, look who you're up against. Not just me, my Messiah the Lord Jesus who came and died for the sins of men, the one who died for you. So he keeps them in derision, which means that he keeps them stammering. Do you ever notice that those who protest against God are just stammerers? I mean, is it like stammering, you know? Can't seem to find, a, you know, a, some, some, something to hold on to. They just. Go on and on and on. Angry at this, angry at that. And you ask him, do you know why you're angry? No, I'm just angry. But what else do they do? They ridicule. They ridicule the church. They ridicule Jesus. Have you ever been on the internet and seen pictures of the way people ridicule Jesus and, 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 and just mock him? You know what God is doing with this, this derision that it mentions? With the very same ridicule that you have given unto me, you will be ridiculed. When a person digs a hole to bury someone, they're digging their own hole. Read that in the book of Proverbs. Whatever, whatever hole you dig for someone to put in, that's going to be your, your tomb. That's going to be your judgment.
So as they ridicule his people, they're being ridiculed themselves. Consider Psalm 37, verses 7 to 13. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. By the way, before we go on, let me, let me just say, I was listening to somebody uh, on an on a, a internet radio program, uh, that was actually a TV program, uh, Christians that were talking about uh, people today have, who have kind of hit this wall about about prophecy. You know, they, 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 they can't believe prophecy anymore because they've been expecting Jesus to come for 20, 30, 40 years and he hasn't come yet. When's he coming? When's he coming? And so they have what they call pre-rapture uh, pre uh, dis, uh, dysfunction. You know, they, they just, they just don't, can't believe anymore. And what's the answer to pre-wrath? Or I should say not pre-wrath, but pre-rapture dysfunction. What, what's, what's the answer? It's very simple. Do what Jesus told us to do. Love one another. Serve one another. Bless one another. Worship the Lord. Serve the Lord. Help the poor. Help the needy. Do all of these things. Do everything that the Lord says. Keep doing it until he comes. Remember that Jesus said, occupy till I come. Stay busy till I come. Do those things that honor me till I come. Do those things that, pro that, that, that uh, proclaim the kingdom till I come. And here's one of the things that we need to do till he comes. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way. By the way, fret does not mean to be fearful. The word fret actually means to kind of get upset, angry. The fact that, you know, some people are, 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 are getting blessed in this world, you know, and they, they shouldn't be. They're wicked people. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do the righteous perish? That's the very same question they asked in biblical times. He says, fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass, don't, don't fret because of him, cease from anger. I, I have to read this every day because I tell you what, the more I see the news, the more I want to put my foot through that TV. And I have to say, Lord, I've got to cease from this anger. I, Lord, i got to remember something. i got to remember you're on the throne. You're in control. Jesus is coming. What am I getting upset about? We could get upset. <laughs> There's a lot to get upset about. Walk away. Go out and tell somebody about the love of Christ. And, or just go out and be the love of Christ. Then he goes on and he says, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. Don't put yourself in a place where you will become like those who do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. I mean, what a blessing it's going to be when we will rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years from Jerusalem. For a I mean, that's where we will be. So, folks... Don't worry about when Jesus is coming, but just be ready that he's coming. For yet a little while the wicked shall not be. Yea, they shall diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Let me ask you a question. Do you see peace in the world today? It's crazy out there, right? We're talking about how, how crazy and insane the world is. Is there any peace out there? Come on, answer me. Is there any peace out there? No, there isn't. I mean, it's crazy in our country as well, no, no peace. Now, let me ask you this. If you know Jesus Christ, do you have peace? Praise the Lord for that. Let's give thanks to the Lord for his peace right now. Amen. But let me tell you, you need to know Jesus to know his peace. My peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, give I to thee. His peace is totally different. We can be here in the midst of all this garbage going on, but we can have peace. You need to know Jesus. The wicked plotteth against the just and gnashes upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth, he seeth that his day is coming. He sees that his day is coming. So, Remember that the greatest rulers and the strongest nations are only drops in a bucket. Remember that. Let me give you something to hold on to on that, on that point. Isaiah 40, verses 6 through 8. 
The voice said, cry, and he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is of, as the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fadeth. Because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it, surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Now look at verses 15 through 17. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as a small dust of a balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing, and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. Before we begin to consider nations as great, remember that in the presence of the Lord, they're just drops in a bucket. Lastly, the sovereignty and sonship of the Messiah. For Jesus then says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, verse 7, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. They're given the opportunity to turn back to God as nations. Lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. So now Messiah speaks. The father now promises his son the kingdom as well as lordship over the whole earth. And as for those who will rise up against him, Jesus will break them with a rod of iron, but not the same word for break is used like in verse 3. No, this merely means to break, to break into tiny pieces when it deals with man's inherent evil. We don't just cast off evil. God wants to destroy evil. But this he doesn't do alone. To the church in Thyatira, Jesus said in Revelation 2, verses 26 to 29, he said, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. So the Lord as the head of the body of Christ, the body that is his, even in the time of the millennium, will work together in ridding the world of, of this wickedness. Lastly, if we remember anything, let's remember this. Let's remember that the Lord yearns for lost mankind. He takes no pleasure in judging men. Don't get the idea by looking at this psalm that, that, that God has pleasure. They go, oh, I can't wait to destroy these. No, because in, a book, in the book of Ezekiel, it says that he does not delight in the death of the wicked. God does not delight in the death of the wicked. He would much rather save them than judge them. That is why he adds this exhortation in verses 10 through 12. This is why he says, be wise now, therefore. You kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. The Lord offers man peace, never war. But he doesn't force his love and his mercy upon those that choose to rebel against him. Before he takes the position of war, God offers conditions of peace. Let me share with you as we close here now one of God's conditions of peace that I think you'll appreciate very much. It begins with words that you should know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish 
but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought, or fashioned and formed in God. That's a condition of peace where God begins by saying, listen, just come to Jesus. Come to my son. It is where Jesus himself says, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Come to Jesus and know real freedom. Know what true liberty is all about. Know that the restraints that the Lord gives us are for our good. Because they keep us tied to him. They keep us yoked to Jesus. And I want the Lord Jesus to lead us and guide us, to lead you individually, to lead us as a church, in, uh, corporately, each and every day of our, walk, of our walk in the Lord. That's how much he loves us that he gives us the condition of peace first by offering his son, the Prince of Peace. Come to the Lord. If you haven't done so already, come to Jesus.